Hi, I'm Nick, and you're listening to the third episode of Nickipedia. Today, I'm going to talk about a general overview of all of the clans in Vampire the Masquerade, their allegiances, their abilities, and basic histories. So, to start off, we're going to discuss the seven clans of the Camarilla, arguably six, depending on which source you look at and who you ask. So to start off, we have the Ventru. And the Ventru, according to themselves, are the undeniable leaders of the Camarilla. And whether or not the other clans would 100% agree with them, there is certainly a modicum of truth to this. They are aristocrats, businessmen, they're leaders in the world around them and in the world of vampires. So their clan disciplines are three. Dominate, Presence, and Fortitude. Dominate being the ability to override and mind control others, especially mortals, which helps them well in their position of leadership. Presence, which is supernatural charisma, or, well, presence. The ability to manipulate others subconsciously. And the last being Fortitude, that being supernatural toughness. After all, a king prone to being assassinated isn't much of a king. Their clan weakness is very much in line with their haughty attitude, that being that the Ventru can only feed from a certain type of person. What this is depends entirely on the individual. It's different from Ventru to Ventru. For one Ventru, it may be only people from a certain city. For another Ventru, it may be only women below 20, right? Or any number of things. Ventures simply cannot ingest blood of any other type. They will vomit it back up. Their body will reject it. This has led to instances in the past where Ventru have had the source of their blood taken away from them. Then they are forced to fall into torpor in hopes that their body will be able to adjust. So the Ventru are traditionally European. Um, many of the clans are, although the Ventru are perhaps the most so, as the Ventru clan has its strongest hold in Europe, especially Northern and Western Europe, uh, by far of any of the clans. And they had a very, you know, dominant position in the Dark Ages because of it. Additionally, speaking of the Dark Ages, the Ventru really were the ones that started the Camarilla out of the ashes of the Inquisition. They were the ones that really brought all of their vampiric brethren together and decided that this organization should be founded. And, of course, they offered themselves to lead it and pretty much have been doing so since its creation. And finally, as anyone in a position of leadership is, some people will hate the Ventru. Now, the Ventru would sell it that they are only hated because they are the ones that have to take charge and the others are just jealous, but the Ventru absolutely use their domineering position in the Camarilla to punch down on some of the other clans. And for this reason, the Ventru have a very poor reputation personally amongst many of the other clans, even if they will still uh, listen to their decisions at the end of the day. Next up is the Toreador, and... To simplify this, if you've ever read an Anne Rice novel, that's essentially what the Toreador are like. The Toreador are the pretty boys, the beautiful vampire princess, the tortured undead artist. 
these are the haunts of the Toreador. Now, their disciplines are presence, that being that supernatural charisma, and they really use it to full effect, perhaps more so than any other clan, because they are the most social, the most outgoing of any of the other types of vampires. Next is auspects, the ability to see the unseen. The Toreador also make good use of this for the Toreador, as much as they like to come off as ditzy partygoers, they use their sociability to get information and to get an understanding of their environment around them. At least the Toreadors that succeed do this. And finally, celerity, supernatural speed. And while this does allow a Toreador to be quite the fearsome opponent if threatened, most Toreadors simply use it to do their things in their everyday life much faster, you know, such as sculpting a sculpture or painting a beautiful painting. The clan weakness, in a very romantic sense, is that the Toreador are entranced by beauty. A Toreador, upon coming upon a fine painting, will, might stare at it for quite literally hours, unable to tear themselves away from it. And unfortunately for the Toreador, this is not really relevant to context. A Toreador seeing a lovely field of flowers will stop and stare. A beautiful sculpture, perhaps, or a lovely sunrise, even. And several Toreador have found their end this way. Now, the Toreador are also a founding Camarilla clan, um, even to the point that some have made the comparison of if the Venture is the king of the Camarilla, then the Toreador is most certainly the queen. And the Toreador are always, have always been very strong supporters of the Camarilla, and very strong supporters of the Masquerade, especially considering that their social nature really requires it. To the point that the Harpy of the Camarilla, that being a trendsetter of the Camarilla, not an official position, but an unofficial one that's always present, is almost always going to be a Toreador. Finally, an off note is that there is a large number of Toreador antitribute, that being Toreador that do not belong to the Camarilla, but rather have defected to the Sabbat. And a note must be made that Toreador of the Sabbat are possibly some of the most deranged creatures in existence, for they take all of that creativity and artistic value and they apply it to their slaughter, to their torture. Truly some of those horrific things to exist in the world of darkness have been performed by a Toreador of the Sabbat. Now, onto the Gangrel. The Gangrel are possibly the most animalistic of the clans, quite literally. They are beasts, hunters of the night, champions of the wilderness. And they are unique in this, in that they are averse to the city life that is so common amongst kindred, preferring the countryside instead. Now, for their clan disciplines, they possess the discipline of animalism, that being the ability to control and talk to animals. A very valuable trait to have when living in the wilderness. And owing to much of the gangrel's unique flavor. Then they have protein. This discipline is not impossible to learn by other kindred. However, they are the only clan that learns it naturally. And protein is the ability to change and shapeshift into animals 
uh, or even just parts of the body to create claws out of hands, or in higher applications, even to sink into the earth or turn one's body into mist. Finally, their last discipline is fortitude, supernatural toughness. As, of course, a harsh life out in the wilderness, they need to be prepared to take a few hits. Their clan weakness is a bit of an odd one, but potentially very crippling. When a gangrel vampire frenzies, their inner beast comes out in a more literal sense. A part of them becomes an animalistic trait. This could be a patch of fur on their body, uh, growing an animal's ears or teeth, or having slit eyes. It could be any number of things. The problem with this is that while temporary under normal circumstances, if they do it too much, if they frenzy too much, these traits will become permanent. And the more it happens, the more traits they will gain to the point that gangrel elders that have not shown the proper restraint will be unrecognizable agglomerations of animalistic traits, unable to live in human society anymore. Now, the gangrel, again, are somewhat unique in that they don't really interact with kindred society if they don't have to. Gangrel tend to be solitary creatures, and while most kindred are solitary to an extent, the gangrel really do not have time for the politics. They simply want to feed and to get on with their own lives as they desire. In line with this, the gangrel also don't really feed into the prejudices that many kindred have. They're very egalitarian as kindred go, and this shows in their clan history. And as well, they really do not have the biases towards many of the other sects that the other clans do. They take things on much more a personal basis, because that is the frame of reference that matters to them not the frame of politics. Lastly, of a side note, is that the Gangrel don't exactly have a peace with the werewolves. However, the Gangrel have something of an understanding with them. It's not something to be relied upon, and a Gangrel will, sure as any other, probably be attacked by a werewolf if they come into contact. However, the Gangrel are not likely to be hunted by them, which given as they live in the wilderness, is a blessing to them indeed. Now, onto the Bruja. The Bruja are perhaps the most divisive of all clans. Extremely hot-blooded. The Bruja fight for what they believe in. Whether or not what they believe in is actually worth fighting for is another matter entirely, and entirely up to the individual kindred. Now, their clan disciplines are perhaps the most aggressive of all, in a way, being celerity, super speed, potence, super strength, and presence, supernatural charisma. Now, the charisma, of course, befits their status as demagogues and leaders of causes, but celerity and potence combined is a fearsome combination, allowing them to tear their opponents apart at incredible speed. Now, the Bruja clan weakness goes right in line with their behavior. They are hot-blooded, and thus are prone to anger and to frenzy. Brujas frenzy much easier than any other clan. And for this reason, a Bruja that does not have an iron will can very quickly become a danger to everyone around them. Probably the biggest single event, historically, that defined the Bruja is 
the burning of Carthage. In Asia's past, in the classical period, the Bruja were actually known more as scholars than as warriors. They had philosophers and champions of causes in the ancient days, thinking of new ways with which to run the world to the benefit of all. However, when a major war broke out between Rome and Carthage, the famous Punic Wars, so too did the Bruja go to war with their Ventru rivals in Rome. As we all know, the Romans won and burned Carthage to the ground, resulting in the Bruja scattering and losing their once united scholarly front in favor of their more scattered and rebellious side. Now of note, because of this rebellious nature and this defiance of especially the Ventru, there are a massive number of Bruja that are more of an anarch persuasion, even though they are technically in the Camarilla. In fact, it could be said that there are as many anarch Bruja as there are Camarilla. Finally, the Bruja do not really tend to make very high positions in the Camarilla, and this is in large part unfair representation of them by the Ventru. Now, while this representation does have a grain of truth, the Ventru largely paint them as irresponsible and untrustworthy hotheads. Now onto the Nosferatu. In some ways, they are the most monstrous of all of the clans, though they would refer to it simply as more honest. Their horrific appearance being on the outside rather than contained within. Now, their clan disciplines are obfuscate, that being the ability to hide supernaturally, to defy people's attention and observation. Then animalism, the ability to control animals, often useful to them as animals can often prove a Nosferatu's only companion in the judgmental world above. And finally, potence, supernatural strength as befitting of their monstrous appearance. Now, the clan's weakness is, as I said, their horrific ugliness. Most kindred are monsters on the inside, but for the Nosferatu, there is no hiding their monstrous nature. They appear to be the, exactly the monsters that they are, with jagged fangs and deformed heads and bodies, pointed ears and claws. For this reason, they must hide often making homes in the sewers or similar secluded locations in the city. Historically, the Nosferatu actually, surprisingly, have a deep history with the church. The orders of various clergy and nuns, especially a particular order of religious knights who always wore armor and masks under the guise of leprosy. They used this to serve their own ends, and... Some legitimately used this to aid others outcast like themselves. In the modern nights, and since the really since the creation of the Camarilla, the Nosferatu have served as spy masters. Their propensity for an ability to hide, as well as the lack of information about their own living spaces, allows them to get information that no one else can. And for this reason, while many of the clans shun them, they are invaluable to the operation of the Camarilla as they ensure a flow of information. 
Finally, there exists perhaps one of the uglier sides, quite literally, of the clan, that being the existence of Cleopatras. The Nosferatus, perhaps understandably given their own situation, highly dislike those that are prideful about their own appearance. And for this reason, sometimes as a cruel joke of sorts, the Nosferatu will intentionally embrace those prideful of their own looks in order to twist and deform them into a hideous Nosferatu to shatter their perception of themselves. The Malkavians are perhaps the oddest of all the clans, with their frankly insane gibbering and strange connections to all the others of their kind. They are an invaluable, though often off-putting, member of the Camarilla. The clan disciplines of the Malkavians are aspects, the ability to see that which is unseen, and indeed they see many things others do not though whether this is real or not is up to interpretation. Obfuscate, the ability to hide supernaturally, something that proves quite useful when their maddened rants go wrong. And lastly, dementation, the power of insanity to induce insanity in others and to harness it, their own insanity to their own ends. Quite a dangerous discipline for all involved. Now, the Malkavian clan weakness is, as I've been alluding to, their insanity. All Malkavians are, without doubt, insane. They possess some sort of mental affliction as soon as they are embraced that makes it extremely difficult for them to operate conventionally, if they even try. Now, the Malkavians are all tied together by what is known as the Madness Network. All Malkavians are undoubtedly insane, however, their insanity links all of them to each other. It allows them to share information in a strange way, to the point that sometimes massive amounts of Malkavians will congregate in locations towards some end that no one knows, not even perhaps themselves. Additionally, this madness network, it will come to them in voices in their heads, and it will give them information sometimes, useful information to them. And this information can not only be things that they wouldn't normally be able to know, but can even be importance of the future, of prophecy. And in fact, the Malkavians have gained this reputation as a sort of odd clan of prophets for that reason. Finally, while the Malkavians are undoubtedly insane, it would be a mistake to write them off as incompetent. The Malkavians are often completely functional in their own lives, or unlives, as it were. However, their definition of functional definitely varies greatly from everyone else's. Finally, the last of the Camarilla clans, though not the least, depending on who you ask, the Tremere are a clan of blood sorcerers, insular and distrusted by all. They ply their magics to the benefit of their own clan and to that of the Camarilla. Their clan disciplines are dominate, the ability to supernaturally control minds. Definitely useful for a clan so power-focused and insular as them. Auspex, the ability to see that which is unseen. And... Thaumaturgy, their own unique discipline of blood sorcery, 
split into many different sub-disciplines, including such things as controlling blood and vitae, calling on curses, to even controlling nature or even technology. The Tremere's clan weakness is a bit of an odd one. It is not a very strong weakness. In fact, it is really barely a weakness at all. However, if exploited properly, it can potentially be devastating. That being that it is easier for the Tremere to become blood-bound. Blood-binding is when a kindred feeds their blood to another kindred, thereby gaining a measure of supernatural power over them, with the other kindred becoming almost addicted to it and supernaturally bound to the vampire feeding them. Normally this has to happen on three separate occasions for a vampire to be absolutely enthralled to another. However, for the Tremere, this only needs to happen twice, and the effects of the initial dose are stronger. This comes up within their own clan as the Tremere bloodbound their own children immediately as they are embraced in order to ensure their loyalty no matter what. For this reason, the Tremere are an extremely tightly knit organization, and probably the most tightly knit and closely bound of all of the vampire clans. Now, the Tremere did not start out as vampires. In fact, they started as wizards in the Middle Ages and in ages beyond. However, this house of wizards, where in times past they used potions of immortality to extend their own lives, by the time period of the Middle Ages, these potions were failing, no longer working as magic had started to flee the world. They became desperate, and as a result, they used foul sorceries to make themselves into kindred. However, this sorcery was incomplete. While they were vampires, they were not nearly as strong as the other vampires of the day, and for this reason they realized they needed to take the power of an existing clan. And for this reason, they turned on the Salubri, with the head of the Tremere diablerizing the Antediluvian himself, and the Tremere starting a smear campaign on the Salubri, making them out as soul-eaters and demon-worshippers. The other clans, in conjunction with the Tremere, turned on them, and the Tremere slaughtered and diablerized as many as they could in order to gain their power, cementing themselves as a premier clan within Kindred Society and within the newly found Camarilla. Moving on to the clans of the Sabbat. The Sabbat only actually has two main clans to their name, although their ranks are filled by a very large number of anti-tribu, that being, as I've said before, kindred that have left their home clan. For this reason, that most of the Sabbat is in fact actually made up of these anti-tribu rather than the two main clans. Though these main Sabbat clans are given more prestige and position within the Sabbat, typically. Now, the first of these clans are the Lasombra and they are a true aristocracy of the night, in some ways even more so than their Ventru rivals, controlling the very night around them. Now for their clan disciplines, they have Dominate, which they use to impose their will on their foes, as any monarch should. Potence, super strength, 
perhaps developed for their own needs, perhaps developed purely to punch through the fortitude of their venture rivals, and obtenebration, that being the ability to control the shadows around them, to control the darkness itself. The Lysambra have said as much, and it is a terrifying fact that the Lysambra are in some ways the most powerful clan, as only they could make a vampire afraid of the dark. The clan weakness of the Lysambra is a bit of an odd one, that being that they cannot be seen in mirrors or recorded in video. They simply do not appear. At first glance, this might seem like barely a weakness at all, in fact, even more of a benefit, considering the existence of the Masquerade. However, this can prove quite maddening, especially as the kindred grows older, as the inability to ever see yourself can drive some kindred to madness through the sheer uncertainty of not knowing your own appearance. Now, as I said before, the Lysambra see themselves as rivals to the Ventru. They see the Ventru as weak, touting themselves as aristocrats, but without the iron fist of a monarch. The Lysambra have no such qualms and will absolutely pummel any opposition that they see to the ground to secure their position. They are especially condescending towards the kind who they believe to be utterly inferior and worthless. The Lysambra of note actually have strong Catholic roots, largely due to their place of origin being in Italy as their power base, as well as Spain and several Latin countries. This manifests in many proceedings within the clan, as well as the Sabbat's usage of Catholic priesthood ranks to designate their own ranks. Finally, the Lysambra of note are the biggest champions of the so-called paths of enlightenment, that being paths of morality separate from the path of humanity, the one that all kindred cling to. They opt to instead abandon their humanity, focusing on a new path of morality to fend off the beast, one that is more suiting of their lives as predators rather than clinging to their old vestiges of humanity. The Zemisi are, in some ways, the most feared of all the clans, while the Lysambra are the aristocratic lords of the night. The Zemisi are the creatures that lurk within it. The clan disciplines of the Zemisi are auspects, allowing them to see their prey through those shadows, animalism to control all the various creatures that scuttle within those places, and the discipline that they are most feared for, vicissitude. This discipline allows them to sculpt the flesh of anything they touch, whether themselves voluntarily to change their shapes into whatever they want, or through, horrifically, the use on others. They can do this against people's will, to the point that a mere touch from a Zemisi could horribly disfigure, literally molding the flesh over their own body. Now, the clan weakness of the Zemisi, in classic Dracula-esque fashion, is that they must sleep in the earth of their homeland. Though, it need not necessarily be specifically their homeland, but rather someplace that was important to them in life. In fact, to say it is Dracula-esque would be very correct, as Dracula himself, canonically, 
was a member of the Zemisi clan. Though it is an important distinction, the Zemisi of that time are now known as the old clan Zemisi because they existed before vicissitude more or less infected the clan. They did not always use such a disgusting discipline, but it appeared sometime in the Middle Ages and spread like a disease, taking hold of the clan and creating the modern Zemisi clan. Some of these old clan Zemisi still exist in the modern knights, though they are rare, and it was of this number that Dracula was a member. In fact, Zemisi elders are known most often for their honor and trustworthiness their willingness to keep their word. Whereas in the modern knights with the plan of vicissitude, the modern Zemisi are known for their disgusting habits, for torture, for embracing against the will, and for a complete abandonment of morals and a complete abandonment of humanity. Onto the independent clans. We start with the Asamites. The Esmites are a very interesting clan, a clan of assassins from the Middle East. They are aesthetically and culturally very different from many of the other clans. Their clan disciplines are celerity, super speed, obfuscate, the supernatural stealth, and their unique clan discipline, quietus. This will be a theme with the independent clans, with each of them having a proprietary unique discipline. Quietus for the Asamites as the name suggests, contains the ability to create supernatural quiet, but primarily involves the manipulation of the blood and vitae, especially of other kindred, but also of kind. Now, the clan weakness is certainly an interesting one, coming not from their own history, but rather from the curses of others. Their curse is that they can simply not diabolize. It is impossible. It will burn through their veins if they try and harming them. And even if they manage to successfully do it, they would gain no benefit. This is as the result of a curse that the Tremere laid upon them to prevent them from diabolizing. As at that point in time, they were known as a group of soul eaters, that they would diabolize other kindred without any provocation. And they were outcast as murderers by the other clans. What is not known by them, however, is that the Asamites were not doing this of their own volition, but rather were cursed by a group known as the Bali, a group of devil-worshipping kindred that had cursed the Asamites who were trying to stop them with this taste for other kindred blood. Also of note, given their place of origin, the Asamites have a largely Muslim population, which has been primarily incorporated into the clan's existing beliefs, those being somewhat pseudo-religious, they venerate their antediluvian Hakim as being higher than all the others, though not in a religious sense, but rather as a paragon to look up to. In particular, they believe that Hakim's word says that other kindred are corrupted, they are a menace to the world, and that the children of Hakim, the Asamites, must fight off these other kindred to protect the kine. Of course, the Asamites still must feed from the kine, but they seize themselves as the shepherd that occasionally purges the flock and protects it from the wolves at the door that the other clans represent. The Giovanni are one of the newer clans. In fact, they are the newest clan 
of the 13 main clans. Coming about in the 1500s, they are a crime family with very dark and very hidden secrets, as crime families often are. The clan disciplines of the Giovanni are potent, supernatural strength, dominate the ability to control the minds of others, quite useful in their endeavors, and in, in particular for them, necromancy. The ability to commune with the spirits of the dead as well as raise the corpses of such. It is their proprietary discipline and it proves quite useful in all of their shady work. Now the Giovanni clan weakness can prove quite a troublesome one. You see, feeding is normally quite a pleasurable experience for the mortal, the kind involved. It numbs them and makes them feel an almost orgasmic sense of sensation. This is not so for the Giovanni. Instead, the bite of a Giovanni vampire is horrifically, shriekingly painful, no matter how gently it is done. And as a result, the Giovanni are forced to take the blood they need to survive exclusively by force, something that can prove very problematic. As I said, the Giovanni started as a merchant family in Venice in the 1500s. And their leader at the time, Augustus Giovanni, was embraced into the prior Cappadocian clan. Eventually, he decided that he wanted to usurp this clan and make his clan their own. So he did, rising up and turning on the then-weakened Cappadocian clan and diablerizing their leader as well as the rest of them, and creating the modern Giovanni clan by harnessing their power of necromancy. In the modern nights, they spread out and now operate as a crime family, embracing only those within the family or within a related Giovanni subfamily. Unlike most clans, the undead members of the Giovanni are very open with this, about with their living relatives. And in fact, they work with them constantly, with those showing promise being embraced. Because of this family closeness and necessity for secrecy, the Giovanni have developed a reputation for their incestuous nature, a rumor that is not at all unfounded. Moving on, the followers of Set are another quite interesting clan, in that they are as much of a cult as they are a clan. Their clan is built on a base of religious worship, that being of Set himself, as the name would imply. Their clan disciplines are obfuscate, to hide in the dark as they are wont to do. Presence, the supernatural charisma, the charisma of the serpent that convinced Eve to eat the apple of knowledge, and Serpentus, their unique discipline, which allows a variety of things, including shape-shifting into the form of a vampiric serpent, or creating a poisoned blood, or even removing one's own heart so that one may never be staked. Now their clan weakness, befitting their status as serpents of darkness, is that they are extremely sensitive to light. Not just the sunlight that all kindred are weak to, though they are especially weak to it, but even just bright lights prove to be very uncomfortable for them. So a lot of them will even wear shades at night for this reason. 
Now, the followers of Set worship their antediluvian Set in the capacity of the Egyptian god Set of the same name. They hold that this is the same figure, though other kindred will often dispute this. And the clan is built as a cult, with the elders being higher in the religious hierarchy and inducting newer members into this cult. They often convert new members into the clan, embracing them. But the difference is, is that the Sedites do not embrace on a whim. The Sedites will scout and bring people into the cult long before they ever are embraced and turned into full vampires. And they often do this through the manipulation of people's vices. Many that join the clan are drug addicts or people with various sorts of addictions or needs. And the clan will often feed the, them these vices only to tear it away from them. And then when they're at their lowest point, they will build them up with the teachings of the clan and give them a new purpose to live for eternity with. The followers of Set often deal and trade with the clans. They are dealers in vices, but they are also dealers in artifacts and lost knowledge. And it is here where they excel, because the followers of Set, though looked down upon by the other clans, are a valuable resource to the canny prince or bishop who knows what they can offer. And for this reason, they prove useful in getting these things to those in the vampiric authority. Finally, for the last of the 13 clans, we get to the Ravnos. A clan of tricksters and outcasts, wanderers. They have walked many roads, often thrown out by others of kindred society, but they have survived regardless, and that is what they truly are at heart, survivors. Their clan disciplines are animalism, the ability to commune with various types of animals, which they often use as companions and as servants. Fortitude, the ability to weather the hardships that they must face while surviving and feeding. And finally, the discipline that gives them their trickster reputation, chymistry, the ability to create illusions of various scales. Now, the Ravnos clan weakness is one that affects their daily life in a way that perhaps no other clans does. Every Ravnos has a certain vice. Usually this is a vice they had in life, or it could even be an ironic twist, such as that of a police officer. But regardless, each Ravnos has a vice that they are compelled to commit once they turn into a kindred. This could be as simple as a newfound kleptomania, or drugs, or sleeping with married women, even. It could be anything, and it's highly dependent on the Ravnos themselves. Though, this fate is definitely disturbing for the Ravnos that suffer through it. I like the quote from the Ravnos clan book supplement, which talks about how terrifying it is to walk into a store simply trying to go about your business, and you look down, and there's something that isn't yours in your hand, and you have no idea how it got there, and you know that you took it, even though you didn't want to. That is what it is to live as a Ravnos. The Ravnos are associated with two groups, mainly, 
though they are very different in kind and treat each other very differently as well. Some Ravnos, especially known to those of the Camarilla, are associated with the Romani peoples that have migrated into various parts of Europe and then later North America. And the other group of Ravnos are associated with India. And the association between them is very different, with the Indian Ravnos often treating the Romani Ravnos as an inferior offshoot, whereas they are the traditional and more upright of the clan. Whereas the Romani tend to shed such prejudices as they simply try to survive in whatever environment they're in. The Ravnos are very outcasted, even amongst the independent clans. Some hardline Camarilla and Sabat leaders will straight up ban a Ravnos from living in one of their cities, so deep does the prejudice run. And for this reason, the Ravnos are rather tight-knit as a clan, not because of a forced method like the Tremere, but simply because they have to to survive. Additionally, they have a certain kinship with the Gangrel, though this is a shaky one at best, due to their antediluvians supposedly being twins, or at least related, depending on which version of the myth. As a result, the Gangrel and the Ravnos have a certain connection that is not shared by any of the other clans. And finally, the Ravnos in the Modern Knights are a very small clan, and this is due to the fact that in the year 1999, the antediluvian of the Ravnos woke up, and in a massive coalition of the various supernatural forces of this planet, he was destroyed and put to the final death. The essential psychic shock passed down through the bloodline of their antediluvian dying in such a violent manner caused many of the Ravnos to fall ill, and many of the clan, especially the elders, to die in one week. As a result, the Ravnos are a scattered clan with few members, just trying to survive with what they have left in the modern nights. And that is it for all 13 clans of Vampire the Masquerade. I hope this has given you at least a decent idea of the character of each clan, and I hope that this will give you a better idea of what is referred to uh, when listening to the podcast. Thank you, and have a good night.